potentially we're just missing out and by extension the world because we don't have enough women at the table. There's nothing in 1 Timothy 3 that says women can't do this. I became an egalitarian by reading the Bible. This is Just Be, Matters of Justice and Biblical Equality, and I'm your host, Krista Lusage. Well, welcome back, dear podcast listeners. We're coming off a break since our last episode, which aired before the holidays, and there has just been an awful lot for Christians to observe and digest during that time here in the United States. We've had presidents of Christian universities disgraced for immoral behavior, We've had allegations of sexual misconduct against a world-renowned evangelist. We've had extremist groups storm the Capitol building. And we've had Christians kind of finding themselves in an awkward, sometimes even complicit position in all of these situations along the way. In the most recent episode that I last recorded, we heard from the sister and lawyer of Lisa Montgomery, who at the time was the first woman facing the federal death penalty in 67 years. Without going into too much detail, as it turned out, they were not successful in holding off the execution, and Lisa Montgomery lost her life in the final week of the Trump presidency. All this to say, dear listener, it's been difficult for me to know where to pick up on from where we left off. I've been troubled and concerned, and I'm very glad that I have a most wonderful guest on the show for you to listen to today. We're going to be talking about church leadership and focusing on 1 Timothy chapter 3, but we'll also be taking a broad sweep through the New Testament and considering all the ways that women have led and been encouraged to lead and how the overall equality of women has been made clear in the New Testament, even when it comes to the church and various types of leadership positions and functions. Her name is Marg Moscow. She has a graduate degree in early Christian and Jewish studies and is extremely devoted to demystifying some of the gender constraints that people have historically made about the Bible. She recently wrote the foreword to Holding Up Half the Sky, a biblical case for women leading and teaching in the church by Graham Joseph Hill. Her blog called Exploring the Biblical Theology of Christian Egalitarianism is a top-notch resource for anyone with any kind of gender-related Bible questions, and it is available in four different languages. She's a powerhouse and is just as sharp as a tack, and I'm so thrilled to have connected with her and have her on the show today. Welcome, Marg. Oh, thank you, Krista. That's a great introduction. (laughs) Thank you very much. And I should add that you're joining us from the Sydney, Australia area. That's right. A day ahead of of me. Yep. Good. So there's a million things that I could uh, spend my time talking to you about, Marg, and questions to ask. But we thought today it would be a good idea to use our time to focus on church leadership, and especially in regards to Bible passages that describe certain attributes or qualities or qualifications to look for in selecting church leaders, namely elders or overseers and deacons. So the passage we're going to look at today that addresses this is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So here's what NIV says. It starts out, here is a trustworthy saying. 
Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of full respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Well, I'm going to start by saying I, ha- I, re- I came across a lot of he's in that passage. Yes. So that... Yes. That seems very masculine. What do we say about that? So there are a lot of he's in almost all English translations and it's really hard to get away from that because when we speak out verbs, we need a subject like he or she or it or something. Mm -hmm. But the Greek language doesn't work like that. Um, You can have a verb and you don't need a pronoun to go with the verb. So... There are actually no personal masculine pronouns in this passage at all in most of the ancient Greek manuscripts. The Textus Receptus has one, but we won't sort of worry about that. And that's the basis of the King James translation. But most of the ancient Greek manuscripts don't have any masculine personal pronouns in this passage. But there is other masculine language, and that's because in Greek, the default grammatical gender when speaking about people and that includes men and women it is masculine because that's how it works so for English speakers Mm -hmm. we can sort of fall over the idea of grammatical gender we don't really understand it It, it's foreign to us whenever the bible is speaking about believers in general or brothers and sisters in general uh, John 3 16 for instance for Mm -hmm. God to love the world that when it's talking about Um, anyone who believes it's masculine Mm -hmm. language so there's a masculine article there's a masculine adjective for believing it's all masculine language but no one I know translates John 3 16 as applying only to men but having said that in uh, 1 Timothy 3 it's really light on masculine language but you don't get that impression when you read the English And also with the NIV, I think it started off with if anyone aspires to be an overseer, Mm -hmm. something along those lines, anyone or a certain one or someone, if someone aspires, it's, it's, and also that particular word doesn't have a gender marker. Most um, nouns and pronouns have a gender marker 
of masculine, feminine and neuter, but tis doesn't, it's identical in form, it's got common gender. But older translations often have the word men there or man right. there. Um, but, yeah, it's gender nonspecific. Okay, so just to sum that up, it's like in Spanish, I remember, if it's plural, it's going to be a masculine ending. Unless you're talking about just a group of girls, then it would be the feminine. But if it's a group of just boys or just boys and girls, that would be masculine. Yeah, that's, that's how the Greek works. And, yeah. and that's how the Greek works. And so we don't have all of these he's. It's almost like I'm imagining, based on the way you described it, it's almost like a bullet point where you have like, Anyone who wants to be an overseer and then with like a bullet points don't have to be complete sentences. You don't need like a subject and a verb. And it would just be like, this is what you need. You got to manage your household and just a whole list of verbs that needs to be for that person. And, and the he is not a gender specific he. It's, I think that's so huge and so important to understanding this. So what about the expression that's used? Some translations say one woman man or faithful to his wife. So that trips up a lot of people into thinking, well, okay, so obviously this passage is addressing men. What's with okay. that? Well, I actually think that the person, Paul, who's writing this assumes that overseers are probably going to be men because in that time, most people who were in charge of a household mm -hmm. were men, but not all because, and, and we've got quite a few examples in the New Testament of women who were in charge of their own, own households and who hosted churches. And hosted, I'm saying, wasn't just having people over for a Sunday meeting. It was really caring for congregations. And this word for caring comes up a few times mm -hmm. in 1 Timothy 3. And it's sometimes in older mm -hmm. translations, I think it even has the word ruling, must rule their house or must manage their house. Yeah, but it's one of these Greek words that you can't find an exact English equivalent. So this word, I think, is used eight times in the New Testament. And I believe, and also other people who have written big fat lexicons believe that mm. it combines the sense of looking after and managing but caring for people the noun of this particular verb or participle that is used in 1 Timothy 3 is used for Phoebe yeah so it's someone who is in charge but they're not just like ruling or they're not just managing they're caring for their congregations they're caring for their families they're providing for their families. I was reading Philip Payne in his book, Man and Woman, One in Christ, that the phrase that's used like one woman man as being like an idiomatic expression, it's not a great idea to translate by taking out pieces of a phrase because you lose the, the essence in the meaning of yeah, the phrase. So um, Philip Payne, argues that, that the best translation of that might be monogamous. And there are even some uh, well-respected scholars who are not egalitarian, so that's Douglas Moore and Thomas Schreiner, and they say that this expression, husband of one wife, it really can't rule out women. You know, that particular phrase can't rule out women because it is idiomatic. It's not really about gender. It's just about this virtue of being monogamous.
I've chatted with people who have thought, well, Krista, like it says husband of one wife. And so like what an interesting thing that even the strongest among the complementarian theologians do not take this particular verse to say that this is specific about men only. Not, not even they would make that claim. I think that's really important to know. And, and also like if you think about it, it would be the same to say, well, what if you were unmarried? What if you were single? What if uh, it, it, there's another qualification listed in there about taking care of your children? Well, what if you didn't have children? Does that mean now you can't have this role in the church? You know, like if you're gonna if you're gonna hold this one little phrase to all of women for the rest of the time, then you have to take every other little phrase. Well, how does he does he manage his household? Or what if they pay? What if they don't own a home and now they're just renting and they're not technically? You know, you can get yourself tied up if you lock yourself in so much. Well, that first part in 1 Timothy 3 does assume that the overseer is probably going to be male, that he does have a house, that he needs to manage well. I think the emphasis is on the well bit, mm -hmm. um, that he does have children and that he's married. So there are all these assumptions. And most people, like you're saying, they don't disqualify church leaders if they're unmarried, if they don't have children, if they don't have their own household to manage. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, they'll hone in on this that an overseer needs to be the husband of one wife. Mm -hmm. But also this little phrase, husband of one wife, comes up later speaking about deacons. Mm -hmm. And Chrysostom, who was a native Greek speaker, an educated Greek speaker, he believed that this referred to male and female deacons, and I know we haven't really gone <laughs> to deacons yet, mm -hmm. but he understood it as referring to women because there are a lot of times in the New Testament and in Greek where you get this phrase that looks masculine, but it doesn't necessarily exclude women. Mm -hmm. It comes up again in verse 8. I think Paul mm -hmm. is focusing more on the male deacons then he mentions the female deacons, and I can come back to that. And then he goes back mm -hmm. and speaks more broadly about deacons, and that's in verse 12. Yeah. Yes, verse 12. So if there it says a deacon must be faithful to his wife, and we know that Phoebe is a deacon, yeah. therefore... <laughs> This is not a gender-exclusive statement. Yeah, and Chrysostom didn't take it as a gender-exclusive statement. Yeah, but if we're just reading 1 Timothy 3 today, there are very few masculine markers in there. Mm -hmm. um, and there's mm -hmm. nothing in there. There's nothing in there that says, oh, women can't do this. Right. He's just saying... Like, if it was that important that women can't do yeah. it, you'd think that would be, like, explicitly made clear yeah. so he's assuming that the overseer is going to be a male that he's going to be married that he's going to have children yeah. that he's going to have his own household to manage mm -hmm. but he never says well if you don't have any of these things you can't be an overseer and mm -hmm. then in verse 11 likewise again talking about women what most people think is happening is like in the greco-roman world some of the the ideal character traits in men are slightly different to the character traits in women because yeah. Paul wanted um, these ministers to be respectable to outsiders as well, which he plainly says. So these women and men had to have great morals um, from pa by pagan standards as well as by Christian standards. I'm like fairly convinced mm -hmm. that the women in verse 11 are deacons. And for some people in a church female right. deacons is controversial and i don't understand why that is because 
there's ample evidence of female deacons, especially in the Eastern Church, not so much in the Latin Church. There were deacons everywhere and they were highly respected. And we see that in some of the earliest Christian documents, including the New Testament. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me just ask, what is the difference then between an overseer and a deacon? So sometimes I don't think there's much difference at all. An overseer obviously has oversight. I think also for Paul, and let me say, Paul is the only person who uses the word uh, diakonos, deacon. Okay. He's the only person who does. You, you don't find that word in Acts. You don't find that word in Peter's letters. It's really Paul's word, and it's a word that he loves. So Paul never identifies a person as an overseer, even though he uses the word in Philippians and he uses the word he. Mm-hmm. But he's got a whole bunch of buddies that he calls diakonos, and they're men and women, Priscilla and Evadia and Syntyche, they're called, the other women I were mentioning were co-workers. So between Diakonos and Synergos, which means co-worker, they're Paul's two favourite words for ministers. So when he's identifying people he knows, people who are in ministry, individuals that we know the names of, they're men and women. He uses the same terms for men and women. He doesn't identify anyone as an overseer or as, a, or as an elder. Mm-hmm. They're really not his favorite words. That leads me to have this question. If Paul doesn't, he doesn't seem to really make a big deal out of who's who's in charge. Yeah. Who are the overseers? He does mention by name people as being servants and deacons. So the logical question I would think would be, well, should we be? putting so much emphasis on this particular title that we see pop up here and there. So I don't think Paul is even using the words as a title so much, Mm -hmm. but more as a function Mm. um, because people did have oversight. Mm -hmm. So if if a church was using your home as a home base, you had oversight, that you were responsible for these people, for their physical welfare, for their spiritual welfare. But if you look at Paul's letters, when he talks about teaching and leading and prophesying, that's for everyone mm-hmm. who is gifted for it. So women were doing stuff in church. They were participating. They were expressing prophecies. They were praying out loud. Someone like Priscilla was definitely bringing teaching. Mm-hmm. Priscilla, her name appears six times by name in the New Testament, like in Romans 16, where there's a list of Roman Christians and there's 28 Roman Christians, Priscilla is listed first. She's number Mm -hmm. one. I mean, that to me is the most telling thing. Priscilla was really well known in her church when Apollos came to Ephesus, you know the story. Yeah. Apollos was a teacher. He was eloquent. He was Mm -hmm. respected and looked up to but he didn't quite have the idea of Christian baptism right. So who corrects him? Who corrects this teacher? It's Priscilla and Aquila. She was a teacher. So you've really studied that time, New Testament, that whole time period. So I might say like, who cares? Her name came first, whatever. She was more popular, but that was not the normal mode of operations. No, no, there's a reason if your name Mm -hmm. is first in in a couple Mm -hmm. or in a group. So one thing that Luke Luke is a very careful writer, I'm saying Luke assuming he's the author of Acts, Mm -hmm. 
So like when Paul and Barnabas start off in ministry, Barnabas's name is first because he's the one with more experience. Mm -hmm. He's the one that's known. But then Paul, his ministry starts to eclipse that, that of Barnabas. Mm -hmm. And so then it changes and Paul, it's, so instead of Barnabas and Paul, mm. it becomes Paul and Barnabas. That's a really great comparison in yeah. order to understand the Priscilla and Aquila. The, the significance of Priscilla's name coming first actually mattered, and it was significant. It does. And, and some people say her name is first because she had a higher social status than her husband. And that's possible except two times when, it's, when her name isn't first and one of those times in particular, it really is talking about the family situation. But when it's talking about ministry, Priscilla is first. So I believe that her name is first because her ministry was more pronounced than yeah. her husband's. Given that, yeah, the context wasn't your social status. The context was the advancing of the gospel. It was ministry, yeah. Ministry. Uh, another thing that I think we talked about, I just wanted to highlight, this idea Paul didn't specifically call out any elders by name. And mm. um, I read Wayne Grudem likes to point out that there's no women that are specified as being elders, right. which is kind of a funny claim to make because there's neither any men who are specified. And, and as far as I'm aware, there aren't a lot of people called out with these specific church offices yeah. at all as having a, a sort of title. And we have, we just have Phoebe and she's a woman. Yeah, Romans 16, verse 1 and 2, that's the verses on Phoebe. And even though it's only two verses, Paul, he really does a great job of saying this woman is a minister. And mm -hmm. the fact that that has been downplayed. So I actually did my master's thesis on deacons in the apostolic and post-apostolic oh. church with a focus on Phoebe. So deacons is really Paul's word, as I said. But he always uses it in the context of an agent with a sacred commission. He never uses it for an ordinary servant. He just never does. So it's really annoying that right. people have somehow put her on a, a lower, with lower significance than some of the, the male deacons. Sorry, not to get off track, but it reminds me of the whole conflict over Junia and like, well, if she must be, if we have to accept that Junia is a girl's name, which it is, yeah. <laughs> then we, we want to just say she wasn't, she was like outstanding in that, like they thought she was great, but not that she's like actually on the same level as the other apostles. It's just sort of, like you said, like an annoying like effort to diminish another person. So what the Akonos actually did, what a deacon did in those days, in churches that I've been at, deacons kind of were in charge of the building even and making sure, this is probably a poor example, but that the toilets were clean or that we had enough hymn books for everybody or things like that. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the case in the first century. These people really looked after people. There's evidence that they taught. Paul calls himself a diakonos. Uh, he called Jesus a diakonos mm -hmm. because it, it's essentially an agent with a sacred commission. It's someone who is devoted to Christian service in some way. An agent with a sacred commission. Basically, deacons, it's just this general term for ministry. They did what needed right. to be done. And that's the thing about the first century church. There was a need 
people met that need. There, there wasn't mm-hmm. this rigid structure as yet. Um, you can't say, well, Deacon is here on the status scale or mm-hmm. co-worker mm-hmm. is here. Or It really was about meeting needs. In 1 Corinthians 16, 16, Paul is talking about Stephanus, who had been a great help to him. And then he says to the church at Corinth, Submit yourselves to Stephanus and his household, but also to co-workers and labourers, because co-worker mm. is Paul's favourite word. And we know that mm-hmm. Priscilla, Yudia and Syntyche were co-workers. And in Romans 16, Paul calls three or four women by this labouring term, because Paul didn't mm. use prestigious titles ministers like with timothy when paul is introducing timothy to the church when he's writing to philemon i should say he calls timothy our brother Mm -hmm. and that was probably the nicest one of the nicest things paul could say about timothy because paul was about partnership and collegiality and and yes yeah doing stuff together so co-worker yes brother sister um because phoebe is also called sister as is a woman called Aphia in Mm. the letter to philemon That's what Paul calls his fellow ministers. He doesn't call any fellow minister an overseer or a deacon. Yeah. 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 So just, I got to ask, I mean, I honestly am starting to feel uncomfortable talking, even talking about a Christian church and these, it seems like we have these stratified layers in the way that we're organized. And I'm trying to open the way so that women can participate in all of those layers and yet it's like there are no layers <laughs> there are no layers yeah. like there shouldn't like the fact that we have created right like the fact that in our sense nowadays of the church of christianity like we put we literally put people up on platforms mm. Mm. yeah we exalt them yeah it just makes me feel a little squirmy inside i don't know what to do about it <laughs> Yeah, I think the way that we venerate our senior pastors is unhealthy. What I hear all the time when when people push back against some of what I say, they say, oh, but men, uh, women shouldn't have authority over men. And I'm going, that's not what ministry is about. Ministry is not about having authority exactly. over another person. Ministry is about service. Exactly. Why can't a woman serve? Right. Why can't a woman serve? It's not about authority. And that's what I think is the big problem. People see certain ministers as having authority over people. And I say mm-hmm. to be a minister, ideally, you do need to be authorized by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, because we all have gifts, but ideally that is not an authority over a fellow brother or sister in Christ because we really are mm-hmm. all on the same plane. We are just, well, not just, we are all brothers and sisters. We all have the same Savior. We mm-hmm. have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same Bible. We have the same future inheritance. Mm-hmm. We're on the same plane. There are no higher or lower Christians. We're Christians. We're Jesus followers, full stop. But some people are authorised to do certain things, certain ministries that they've been gifted for, but it's a ministry to serve, not to have authority over. I think that's such an important point. It brings me a question I want to ask you is, you know, I know men who are like, listen, they're, they're pastors. They're like, 
I just want to be like Christ, you know, like Ephesians 5. I want to love my wife. I want to love the church. And, and I think this would apply more to marriage, but this way of leading is my way of being Christ. Like I'm, I'm doing women a favor <laughs> by taking this job so they don't have mm. to do it because I'm trying to be a yeah. servant. And it's like, well, what if women could do that job or feel called to do that job? So like, I don't know, do you have any, do you say, do you have anybody that just says, I'm just trying my best to be a servant in that role as, as whatever pastor, and I'm serving women by not letting them participate yeah. in this kind, kind um, of I job. I do hear people saying something similar that they're almost protecting women because they can't handle the responsibility of leadership. And we have so many examples that some women, not all women, can definitely handle the responsibility of leadership. But the thing is too, what it's not really great for any person to be a leader on their own anyway. So to share, mm. you know, like in those first congregations that Paul was a part of, people could just offer what they had. They could pray, they could prophesy, they could teach, they could bring some sort of word in tongues or, or whatever it was, healing. People had that freedom to use the gifts that they had. So the idea even that a senior minister thinks he's protecting women, it's just not a, a healthy, you know, so you're also protecting the men by sort of hogging <laughs> the, the senior spot. <laughs> yeah, maybe the women would be best served by sometimes hearing a sermon preached by another yeah. woman. Yeah, I think, and, and also when you can relate that to marriage, you know, a lot of these, these guys are actually really nice people. They just sure. think the Bible says women can't do these things. And I say, how are you with your wife? Do you say I'm the leader here? And, or do you make decisions together? Does that work for you guys? You feel like it's healthy and good when you team up and you pull your yeah. brains together and you do life. And they're like, oh, absolutely. And they say, well, why wouldn't it be the same way yeah. in the church? Yeah. You know, well, because the Bible says it is that way doesn't <laughs> so. yeah i mean paul talks about the body doesn't he we need everyone in the body we don't just need uh, one person doing most of the work and, mm -hmm. and i don't think men and women are exactly the same i think we are different quantifying mm -hmm. that difference is very difficult but we definitely need women who are part of input and decision making and interpreting the bible i've never had strong leadership aspirations but i've loved the bible from the moment i picked it up i've yeah i still love the bible i just really want to know what what it says so i actually can read the, the new testament in greek for both devotional and study i'm really trying to understand the world of jesus and the world of paul so that i can understand their words better and for anyone to say, oh, I don't think Margaret should teach or anyone. And there's lots of women like me. It doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And I love that you're helping people to, you love the Bible so much that you are willing to very regularly post a very insightful article to your blog about one about the Bible. Too often people will say, you know, you're not taking the Bible seriously if you are an egalitarian. And it's so clear, so clear that that is not the case. Mm. And I, I became an egalitarian by reading the Bible. It was when I actually started reading the New Testament in Greek that I saw there just isn't this idea that women are excluded from those ministry mm -hmm. lists, for instance, like right. Romans 12, which was like a huge turning point for me because I did feel that God wanted me to be a teacher. And I thought, well, I can't teach men. <laughs> 
Uh, and I had a women's Bible study, which I loved, that I led. Wow. But I was thinking, no, I can't be a leader because I'm a girl. And I was actually quite content with that. Mm-hmm. And then I read Romans 12, 6 to 8 in the old NIV, and it was all men. Men and he, 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 mm-hmm. like we have in 1 Timothy 3. Yeah. Even though there's no he's there, mm-hmm. like there's none. And then I thought, I'll check it in the Greek. And I often say that Romans 12, 6 to 8 is just as gender inclusive as John 3, 16, because it has very similar grammatical construction. And I actually wept when I saw what Romans oh. 12, 6 to 8 said in the Greek. Wow. As compared with the older English. All the new English translations are doing a good job of making that gender inclusive. In that passage. Yeah. So I just want to ask yeah. you one more question. What keeps you going? Yeah. It, it, it seems like a, like this is your life's passion and your life's work. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be my life's work. I guess I really love God and I really love the Bible. And I know how much I love God. I know how much I love the Bible. Even though I don't have leadership aspirations myself, I think it would be crushing for other women who have a love and a passion and an ability and people are just saying, no, just because you're a girl. It's unjust and the church is missing out. The church really is missing out and by extension the world because we don't have enough women at the table, it's, it's a cliche, but who are contributing their gifts and their talents and their perspectives mm. yeah I, I don't I mean I do get discouraged but I just never give up I mean just this morning on Twitter um, someone was sharing this thing that there's a new church in town and as part of their belief statement they affirm the God-ordained and significant role women play in establishing and leading the local church Therefore, every leadership opportunity is open to women except those that are excluded by scripture. And the passage that we started looking at, 1 Timothy 3, is one of those passages. Mm. And I'm going, that's not what it that's not what it means. There's nothing in 1 Timothy 3 that says women can't do this. Right. I would love to talk to you more, like the different languages that you have and the people around the world, Mark, that are having the Bible open Mm. up to them. The posts that are read the most are Spanish translations by far. Yeah, they're the most popular. That's very interesting, especially the little I know about Spanish cultures tend to have that that same machismo element Mm -hmm. in it. And it sounds like the just by that data the people are curious yeah they want to learn and just think the women who will go and do things and just make this world more inhabitable for everybody through their various ministries it's a very hopeful thought yeah it really is my pleasure i really enjoy what i do and do you have any other contacts? I'm on Twitter and Facebook way too much but you will find me there so my handle is uh, one word, Marg Mosco at Marg Mosco at Twitter, and at Marg Mosco on Facebook. I'll link those as well. Marg, this has been such a pleasure talking to you about church leadership, all these things that a lot of us just really don't spend very much time thinking about, hardly at all, because we're just so busy moving through our lives. But to realize that that these are systematic ways that women are 
being held back in the church and we want we want God to be in control of how he uses his people and the Holy Spirit to dictate how people can serve and lead and uh, we don't really want to place anything in the way and if having this conversation today can help remove an obstacle for somebody to go out and do God's work then couldn't think of anything better that could come out of this conversation. Oh, I certainly hope so. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Krista. Thanks for checking out the show today. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about Marg's blog and other ways you can connect. If you enjoyed today's episode, why don't you share it with a friend? Thanks.